Good morning, church. Uh, my name is Shelley, and we will now be reading today's passage in the scriptures from Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 29, verse 22, Proverbs 22, 24 to 25, Proverbs 19, verse 11, and Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 9. Please follow along in your own Bible or on the screen. Proverbs 29, 22. A man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression. Proverbs 22, verse 24 to 25. Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with the wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. Proverbs 19, verse 11. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 9. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. This is the reading of God's word. Well, I have the privilege to uh, welcome and introduce our first guest speaker of our uh, guest speaker series. Uh, this is Pastor Michael Lee. He's the lead pastor of All Nations Community Church down in Los Angeles, California. He is a dear friend of mine. Uh, we, room, we were roommates during seminary. Uh, he's the one who got me into golf. So um, my wife has a very special place in her heart for, for Pastor Michael. But now I'm the bad influence. I, I make him, you know, miss family time, play golf with me. Um, but he's, uh, we graduated from the same seminary. He is a Trojan. So if there's any uh, Trojans out there, I'm, I'm sorry. Um, and, yeah, well, let's please give, he's uh, guest speak, uh, spoken for us before, but let's give him a round um, ovation as you introduce him. Yes. All right. Well, uh, thank you, Pastor Jay, for that introduction, and thank you, True North, for having me again. Uh, the title of today's message is Redeeming Our Anger. Redeeming Our Anger. And now, the reason why I'm preaching on anger is not because Jay told me there's a bunch of angry people at his church, and he wants me to deal with that. Uh, it's because I really came to confront uh, my own anger uh, in my heart towards my family, towards my church, towards the world, towards God, uh, during this pandemic, um, I'm sure for, for each of us, we struggled uh, with anger, with frustration, right? Uh, we, we experienced a lot of different triggers in our lives over this pandemic, loss of opportunity, loss of relationships, loss of, 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 of jobs, loss of life. We saw so much turmoil. There was so much noise in the news about politics in our country, social issues, global issues, and um, depending on the issue, depending on the state of your heart, depending on the condition of your emotional, mental, spiritual health, yeah, you may have responded differently. Maybe some with cynicism and indifference, maybe some with great anger, heat, and passion. And so, um, yeah, as we were at our church, uh, trying to process this as a community and for me to try and preach faithfully and shepherd our church through this pandemic, uh, I really started to think about anger and, and the study of it and, and how to properly apply it in my own life in a way that reflects the heart of Jesus. And so uh, our passages today were a selection of Proverbs um, and, and one verse from Ecclesiastes. And uh, I want to talk about anger today. Now, one of, the, one of the most famous Christian evangelists in the 20th century, Billy Graham, once said that the only time 
God does not answer my prayers is on the golf course. The only time God doesn't answer my prayers is on the golf course. Uh, I know, and it's weird that, you know, Jay mentioned golf in the introduction, but everyone who plays golf experiences anger. And it's always interesting for me to see how people express it differently. I've seen people curse, throw clubs, throw total tantrums and have meltdowns. I've seen others get quiet, dark, and antisocial when they're angry. They're like the brooding, angry person. You're like, hey, how you doing? Nice shot. They're just like, right? Some people complain. They get really vocal. They make a lot of excuses for every bad shot, and it's never their fault. It's the wind. It's the conditions. It's the ball. It's the club. It's the car that drove by, right? And that's how they're processing their anger. Others get competitive. Jay and I have a friend. When he gets angry, the bets go up and up and up. Why? Because he wants to take his anger out on you by taking your money. Right? Now, we may not all play golf, but we all experience anger, not just in sports, but in life. And many times, we don't know what to do with it. We do not know what to do with our anger, especially as Christians. Is this something we're supposed to avoid? Is a good Christian never angry, right? Is a good Christian always just even keel and zen and unaffected by the, by the things of this world, right? Is that what it means to be a good Christian? Is anger something we're allowed to express? Is anger something we're supposed to diffuse and manage? What is anger at the core, and what are we supposed to do with it? A Christian author and counselor named David Powison, he wrote a book on anger called Good and Angry. Good and Angry. I, I really highly recommend it to you. Yeah, if you're looking for some summer reading. Uh, and in it, he said this. He said, you won't understand the word of God unless you understand anger. You can't understand Jesus unless you understand anger. You don't understand mercy unless you understand anger. And you can never understand people unless you understand anger. Think about that. Today, I want us to consider three things. The nature of anger, the effects of anger, specifically the negative effects of anger, and the release and the redemption of our anger. So the nature of the effects and the release of our anger. The first thing I want to say about the nature of anger is this. Anger is like fire. It's like fire. It can be either constructive or destructive. We use fire to cook, to forge metal. We use it to heat our homes and provide warmth. There are so many ways fire can be used constructively for the good and benefit of our lives. But once fire gets out of control, once it is mishandled, we get burned. Things get destroyed. People get hurt. We know this all too well in California. In Proverbs, one of the, uh, in Proverbs most of the time, anger is, is addressed in this negative way. The destructive, dangerous effects of anger upon our hearts, our lives, and our relationships. But I want to say this, before we dip into our Proverbs, um, anger itself is not sin. Anger itself is not sin. The Bible says in Psalm 4 and Ephesians 4, be angry and do not sin. Okay? So that's very important as Christians, that we understand that anger itself is not sin. We can be angry and be without sin. We can be good and angry at the same time. 
Friends, Jesus experienced more anger in his life than we often realize. Then we're maybe comfortable admitting, because we have this image of Jesus as so gentle, as so meek, as so mild, and, and just so in control of all things. The storm is raging and he's asleep, right? There's so much chaos and he's at peace because he's with his Father in heaven. Friends, I want to tell you, go back and read through the Gospels and you will see so many more. Look for the anger of Jesus and friends, you will find it. You will be shocked to see how often Jesus experiences anger. But he had it for the right reasons. And he expressed it in the right ways. He was angry at death. He was angry at sin. He was angry at unbelief. He was angry at the religious leaders who taught legalism over mercy. We tend to miss or minimize the anger of Jesus because we have our own preconceived ideas about anger. If anger is a bad thing, if it's a negative, destructive emotion, well, Jesus is good. He's the good shepherd, so he can't be angry. But that's a false dichotomy, my friends. David Powelson, he does a really good job. He does a really good job of kind of unpacking the nature of anger in his book. And it is a complex emotion. But at the core, anger essentially says this. I'm against that. Just think about it. I'm against that. You scroll through your, your social media feed and you see something unjust. You see a crime. You see or read something that is destructive and evil and your heart immediately feels what? Not affirmation of it. Displeasure, disapproval. And you're like, I am against that. I'm against that. That's what anger is at the core. It's an active stance you take to oppose something that you assess as wrong. There's disapproval. There's displeasure. I cannot tell you how many times I've heard my wife tell my three-year-old son, that's not okay. That's not okay. Now, sometimes it's in a measured tone. She's like, Seth, I know you're feeling upset right now, but that's not okay. Other times, it's just pure rage. That is not okay. And I'm not yelling because, you know, that'd be really disorienting during a sermon. But it's to the point where I hear her yelling and telling my son, it's not okay to throw your food on the table. It's not okay to hit your sister or push her. It's not okay to disobey over or run our dog over with your little scooter. That's not okay. And when she's yelling, I get uncomfortable. I stop what I'm doing. And I'm like listening from the other room, like what's gonna happen next, right? What's gonna happen next? Friends, to be angry is to be against something whether it's the behavior of a friend or a family member, whether it's news you see or hear about, about our politics or global events, mass shootings, or even decisions made by your church leaders. This happens in the church all the time. Decisions are made. Church members may either be for it or against it. Preceding every church split, you know what there is? Anger. At the core of all of our conflicts, it's, it's anger. We are against one another. Our actions, our decisions, our behaviors, whatever it might be, and we're against one another. As anger is experienced in degrees, we need to understand at the core, it's us being against something or someone. Now, the reason why we can become angry is 
Because God has created us in his image. God is a moral being, and he's created us as moral beings who know, who can know right from wrong, good from evil. And so God is angered by evil and injustice. God is displeased when things are not the way they're supposed to be. When humans aren't living in right relationship to him, to the world, and to one another. So here's an important truth. As we live in a fallen world, we are supposed to experience anger. You're supposed to. Because it's evidence of, of God and his image in you. It's actually evidence of, of you and I being like God as moral beings who see things that are broken, who see things that are not the way they're supposed to be. And we're grieved by that. We're affected by that. We're supposed to experience anger. But because of our fallen nature, we don't often have godly anger. We actually have sinful and destructive anger, anger that is stained with sin. We get angry over petty things and respond in the wrong ways. We're irritable when we should be patient. We're wrathful when we should be merciful. We argue and bicker when we should be silent and when we should listen. Most of the time, anger is mentioned in the Proverbs again. It's in this negative context. But that's what the nature of anger is, to be against something and to actually know the heart of God who is against sin and death and who grieves over a broken world. Now, the effects of anger, and these are the negative ones. I want to share three effects of sinful anger that the Bible warns us of today. Number one, anger consumes. Anger consumes. Ecclesiastes 7, 9. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. That's such a powerful description. Anger just being lodged in our hearts. For something to come into our hearts and get stuck there. We know what this is like. How many of you have, because of a conflict you had with a friend, coworker, family member, you just replay that over and over again in your head? Have you ever had that? It's the first thing you think about when you wake up, the last thing you think about before you go to sleep, and you're just replaying that in your head and your heart. We talk about it constantly with the people that we're close to. Maybe you're angry at a friend, angry at a, at, a, at a work situation. So you're going to talk to your spouse about it all the time. You're going to bicker. You're going to complain. You're going to criticize about those things to the people you're closest with, whether it's your spouse, your best friend, your coworkers, whatever it might be. But we keep talking about that. Why? Because it's lodged in our hearts. We become bitter, irritable, and cynical. How many of you hold grudges and you never get over it? How many of y'all can hold a grudge for a long time, right? It becomes a burning fire within us, lodged in our hearts. The Bible calls this a foolish way to live. There's a small town in Pennsylvania, and uh, it's a coal mining town. And what happened many years ago is that coal mine caught on fire. And ever since 1962, the main coal mine under this Pennsylvania town has been smoldering and on fire. Some scientists think that that fire could burn for another 250 years. It's been burning since the 60s. 
and they think it's going to keep on burning. All the efforts to put out that fire have failed, and the town is now deemed too hazardous and dangerous for people to live in. Anger is like a fire that consumes our hearts if we don't learn how to deal with it. Number two, anger alienates. Proverbs 22, 24 to 25, make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. In this proverb, we are warned to avoid angry people. Avoid angry people. We should not befriend them nor go with them because their anger will rub off on us in negative ways. We should remember this when we meet new people, when we're faced in a new circumstance, and we actually have the choice. Do I want to spend more time with them? Do I want to invite them into my life? Do I want to hire them for my company or team? Friends, if they are angry people, God's word tells you, you should be wise. You would be wise to avoid them. But I want us to consider this proverb in another way, okay? Uh, I mean, if you can't think of angry people right now that are a bad influence on others, right? If you can't think of like an angry person, um, what if you are that person, right? What if you are that angry person? They're like, people are like, ooh, that person is a little toxic. Okay, not, I'm not calling any of y'all toxic. Yeah, anyways. Um, but I want us to think about it on the other way. If we are the angry, wrathful people, the proverb tells us that our anger will cost us great loss of personal relationships. That people will not want to befriend us. They will not want to be with us or trust us and be in close relationship to us. Employees will leave. As a leader, I've been reading more and more about toxic people and toxic environments. And you know what the common solution is? I mean, you're like, there's so many people that are trying to figure out, how do I fix this toxic work environment? How do I help this toxic staff member or employee? How can I coach them up and mentor them? You know what the number one conclusion is? Let them go. Unfortunately, there's no solution to that. It's, it's if there are toxic people in your team, in your workplace, they're going to actually be destructive and have more, a more powerful negative influence on the rest of your team, then you will be able to fix them and heal them and help them. Proverbs talks about it in this way. The town with the coal fire in Pennsylvania. It was once a bustling little town of 1,500 people. 1,500 people. Today, there are only five people who live in that town because the fire has been burning under that city, under that town, and nobody wants to be there. This will happen to us if we live lives of, of unmitigated, destructive, sinful anger that just controls us. People will abandon you. They'll step away from you because you are too painful to be in relationship with. You know, my wife and I, uh, we've been married for going on 10 years. We dated for five so we've spent 15 years together. We know each other very well. And to be honest, uh, we are kind of rare in the fact that we, we don't fight that often, okay? We don't fight that often. It's a, it's a blessing, right? She's a very agreeable person, so she puts up with me, and she doesn't, yeah, fight with me. But, um, and I've just noticed over the years, as I've, like, monitored, and once we had kids, we fought more. And so that whole honeymoon thing was, anyways. Um, but I noticed that, you know, in our relationship, the only time 
I want to move away from her and avoid her is when she's angry. When she's stressed, what do I want to do? Out of love, I want to help her. Is there anything I can do, honey, to help you, to relieve some of the pressure and the burdens that you're feeling right now? When she's tired, I'll say, hey, don't worry, I'll take the kids to the park. You take a nap. I'll try to do some of the dishes in the laundry. You just rest. When she's tired, I want to support her and help her get rest. When she's sad and she's grieving and she's down, I want to comfort her. I move towards her in love. But when she's angry, when she's upset, frustrated with her coworkers, her work environment, or whatever it might be, yeah, I'll try to listen. But in the end, do you know what I want to do? I just want to step away. It's not because I don't love my wife. It's because I just don't enjoy being around angry people. And my wife says the same thing about me. She has the same heart and experience for me as well. When I am angry, when I am irritable, that doesn't make my wife want to move towards me. It makes her want to avoid me. And so this proverb is very real in my life. It's so real in our relationships. How many of us enjoy being around angry people? None of us do. So the Bible's warning us of that. We will lose relationships. We will hurt the people that are closest to us if we allow anger to continue to burn as an uncontrolled fire lodged in our hearts. Third, anger evokes sin. Proverbs 29:22. A man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression. This is an important warning for us all. Anger begets sin. Okay? And this is why Ephesians 4 says, be angry and do not sin. Anger itself is not sin, but it leads us to sin often. Out of anger, we say and do things that cause great destruction and great regret. Anger is at the root of every kind of violence. An angry heart precedes an angry word. Okay, That's just the truth. An angry heart precedes an angry tweet. Cain was angry before he killed his brother Abel. Moses was angry at Israel before he struck the rock. Sarah was angry with her maidservant Hagar before she sent her away and cast her off into the wilderness. One given to anger causes much transgression. And so friends, I know there's a sermon discussion group afterwards, right? This is a good question. What sins have you committed out of anger? If you think about some of your regrets, things that you've done and said, right? How much of that was birthed out of an angry heart and an angry soul? So what do we do with our anger? What do we do with our anger? And this is the last point, the release and the redemption of our anger. And I want to help you today with this point. Our culture has coping mechanisms for anger, but very few solutions for anger. Okay? A lot of coping mechanisms, but very few solutions. The American Psychological Association offers these strategies for anger management. Number one, breathing deeply from your gut. Breathe deeply. Number two, yes, right there, got it. Number two, repeating a calm word like relax. Okay. Martin Lloyd's bad boys, woosah, right? Just, just have a word that will kind of bring calm, relax, or something. 
Number three, imagining a relaxing experience from the past. These are mental exercises. Okay, I'm just going to remember that one time I was on the beach in Hawaii, and, and maybe that will bring me some calm from my anger right now. Number four, stretching and doing yoga-like exercises. Maybe relaxing the body will help relax the mind and the heart. Stretching, yoga-like exercises. Number five, cold, hard logic. Right? This might work for some of y'all. If you're in an angry situation, just think about it and talk to yourself. Be like, that's, that's, that's not logical for you to be so amped up, so upset, so frustrated with this. It's just this. You're right. Just A, B, C, whatever it might be. Cold, hard logic. Number six, uh, using humor. Use humor on yourself so you don't take yourself or others too seriously. Okay. Now, how do these sound? Are these helpful? Okay. I feel like it's like mildly helpful. It can be helpful in moments, but once again, they're only treating symptoms, minor symptoms of anger, and never getting to the root problem. Brothers and sisters here at True North, we need more than anger management, don't we? We need more than this. We need to be able to release our anger. We need to be able to process better our anger through the lens and heart of Christ. We need freedom from the anger that wants to lodge itself into our hearts, Earlier this year, a group of 20 Boston moms, 20 Boston moms, they gathered at a football field. Okay, they gathered at a football field, and you know what they did? They screamed. They just, it, was a, it was a gathering of 20 moms, and they screamed. They yelled, they cursed, they laughed, they cried. They even had a contest to see who could scream the longest. The winners screamed for 30 seconds straight. Imagine that, Boston accent and everything. 30 seconds. These moms were just so angry. They were so burnt out from this pandemic that they needed a release. I saw y'all have a women's ministry picnic going on in a couple weeks. Don't do this because y'all might get arrested for a public disturbance in the park. I don't recommend that for your next event, but I think they're onto something. They're onto something because they know that, that they can't hold in their anger indefinitely. That they felt like they couldn't just keep it in and suppress it and just put on a good face. That they needed to release their anger. They needed to let it out in healthy and constructive ways. And I want to tell you that there is a way for you and I as Christians to release our anger. And it's actually through forgiveness. It's actually through forgiveness. Proverbs 19.11. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Good sense makes us slow to anger, and it is our glory to overlook an offense. Solomon tells us that one way to be slow to anger, one way to really kind of not allow anger to enslave us, And control us is to be able to overlook the offenses of others. Now, that word overlook, it's a little misleading. Because when we think overlook, we're thinking of like, does that mean we like ignore ignore people's wrongs against us? Does that mean we ignore evil and injustice? Does that mean we minimize it? Is that what we are doing here in overlooking their offenses? I want to say that's not what Solomon is talking about. Overlooking an offense isn't making like a wrong answer right because you're like, don't worry, I'll hook you up. I'll take care of it, right? 
To overlook an offense literally means to pass over and to pass through something. It's actually the same word God uses in Genesis 15 to describe his passing, passing through uh, uh, the animal carcasses when God is making a covenant with Abraham. He's passing through these dead animals to make a covenant with his servant Abraham. It's the same word in the Hebrew used in Micah 7.18 where the prophet Micah, he describes God. And Micah 7.18 says this, who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over, overlooking, same word, transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. You see, friends, one of the best ways we can deal with our anger is through active forgiveness, through applied mercy and grace towards sinners. And the way for us to grow in our ability to be able to become the kind of people that aren't easily triggered by other people's offenses that aren't overwhelmed, that don't get all jaded and bitter and hostile when people wrong us, is to remember how God, who is holy and righteous, God who is just, who is rich in mercy and grace, has forgiven you and I. See, this is why we need the gospel, my friends. In the midst of our anger, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of the fact that people may do wrong against us, we need to remember how we have wronged God, how we have disobeyed him, how we have wandered away from him. And we need to be floored over and over again by the fact that God, who knows our sin and our brokenness so perfectly, he doesn't count our sins against us. He doesn't count your wrongs against you. In fact, he is the kind of God who takes your sin, who takes your broken record and all of your wrongs, and he casts them as far as the east is from the west. Not because he ignores them. Not because he minimizes them. But because our sins, when we place our faith and trust in the bloodshed work of Jesus Christ, our sins, our wrongs, our offenses have been nailed to the cross. And because of that, his anger doesn't burn against us anymore. Because of that, he overlooks our offenses. He forgives us and offers mercy. Friends, if you have placed your trust in Jesus, God is not angry with you. God's not angry with you. And I hope that that's meaningful to some of you today. I know we had a brief moment where we were confessing our sins. We do that every Sunday at our church as well. And I know that for some of us, that, that time is very heavy. Maybe we actually dislike it because it can feel like a guilt trip. And we're like, gosh, God, yeah, you're perfect. I'm not. God, you're holy and righteous, and I'm just this mess. And we feel like every Sunday we're just reminded of, of how broken and poor and lowly we are and like why do we have to keep berating ourselves during worship, okay? The reason why we do that is not to just push you down into the dumps. It's actually to make much of God's grace and his mercy in your life. 
That's what the gospel does. That's what God does in his grace. He takes us out of the mire and out of the pit, and he says, I love you. I see and know intimately all of your sin and all of your brokenness, and yet whatever wrath you deserve, whatever anger you deserve, whatever punishment and guilt that is real in your life, that has all been applied to Jesus on the cross. And if you believe in Jesus and if you place your faith in him, you are clean. And I'm not angry at you. Instead, I delight in you. I have so much love and affection for you as my daughter and as my son. He is not angry. And the more and more we enjoy this and realize this, the question then needs to become, if God is not angry at you, if God is not angry at us for our sins and our offenses, how can we remain angry at others for theirs? You see, if you're an unforgiving person, okay, it really is a gospel issue. It's not just a character issue, my friends. If you are really struggling with the issue of forgiveness, what we need are not just like earthly relational reconciliation tactics. We need to go back to the gospel and remember and drink deeply of the fact that our Father in heaven, who is righteous, holy, and just, is not angry at us and has forgiven us and clean, cleansed our record. And we need to be amazed by that and then think, gosh, if, if Christ can heal this vertical relationship that I have with God, what does that mean for my horizontal relationships? What does that mean for my family relationships? My workplace relationships? Now, what do we do when we struggle to forgive? When we feel like we can't overlook. Like, I get it, Mike. You want me to forgive. You want me to overlook. But what happens when the wrongs against us are too painful, too violating, too heinous to handle? When whether we want to or not, we're just like, this anger is burning within my soul and I just, I just can't forgive it away, Mike. It's gonna be with me forever. Right? In those moments, my friends, you need to take an even deeper look at Jesus. An even deeper look at Jesus. The Apostle Paul in Romans 15.3 just amazing passage. I mean, I just re-encountered this this year for the very, just in a powerful way. And in Romans 15, 3, Paul writes this. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproach of those who approached you fell on me. This is what Jesus is saying. All the people who've insulted you have insulted me. That, that, that's fallen on me. The people who have cursed you and offended you and hurted you and hurt you, hurted, hurt you, and committed crimes and sins against you, that reproach, that curse, that insult, Jesus is saying, that has fallen on me. In Romans 15, Paul is exhorting the church to accept one another, to love one another in unity, and he's commanding the strong to bear the failings of the weak. Literal fail, like people will fail you, he's telling the church in Rome. And this is not just outside the church, inside the church. Your brothers and sisters, your leaders, maybe even your pastors will fail you. And in those moments, 
you need to remember that Jesus Christ experiences that with you. He bears the reproach on your behalf. The basis for this instruction is the example of Christ who bears our sin. And what's really unique here is that Paul is telling us that the gospel doesn't just deal with our personal sins committed against God. The gospel has a word for us regarding the personal sins others commit against us. Okay? Jesus has something to say about that. That, that. That's involved in his ministry for you. And what Jesus is telling you today, my friends, is this. All the pain you feel from the wrongs of others, Jesus saying, I feel it too. I feel it with you. The disgrace, the insults that have fallen upon you, Jesus saying, they've fallen upon me. So you have a suffering Savior who not only suffers for you, he suffers with you. He does. Friends, isn't this why so many of us gossip and slander the people that we hate with our friends? Why we complain, criticize, badmouth? Why do we do this with our close friends, in our text threads, with our spouses, or whatever it might be? Why? Because we want people on our side, right? We want people to hear us, understand us, connect and empathize with us. We want people to, to say, yeah, your boss is a jerk. Totally get that. Yeah, your mother-in-law is crazy. You're like, thank you. I feel heard and seen. Yeah, your boyfriend, he is messed up. You're like, thank you. Right? We want that. We want people to be for us. We want people to understand and empathize with us, to enter into our pain and enter into our suffering. And I want to tell you this, friends. No one does this more powerfully. No one does this more intimately than Jesus. The reproach of those who reproached you fell on me. What a friend we have in Jesus. So what should you do with the deep-seated anger in your heart? The anger that you feel like you can't manage on your own, that brings you to a boiling point. When you feel like you can't forgive on your own as hard as you might try, you have to give it to Jesus. You gotta give it to Jesus. You gotta know that, that, that you can't hold it on your own. Jesus is the only one who can hold your anger. He's the only one who can hold your pain. And the reminder for us is to believe that today. When he says, that falls on me. When he says, I'm with you and I know you and I will never forsake you. The call for us today is to believe in the promises of Jesus and his presence with us in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our anger. And this is not just punting or passing the buck to Jesus. You and I, we're giving our anger to Jesus. We're entrusting our anger to Jesus and really believing that he profoundly and powerfully experiences it with us. And he's the only one equipped to be able to deal with that. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for 
your word and grace for us today. We thank you that though we deserve your anger and your wrath and your punishment, though we deserve to be cut off for our many sins and transgressions, we thank you that in Christ we are beloved and we are accepted. Father, I pray for any of my friends here today who are feeling so distant from you, who are drowning in their own sense of guilt and brokenness. Lord, would your love and your pleasure be upon them? Would they sense just how much your heart is for them? Help them to experience your forgiveness and freedom. For any of us who are truly struggling with deep-seated anger, anger towards family, friends, co-workers, or, or, or even in this church, I pray, Lord, that, that the gospel of reconciliation, that the ministry of reconciliation would, would be real and active in our lives. Help us and teach us what it means to be angry and without sin. We want to know you, O oh Lord, and we want to be like you. We thank you in Jesus' name we pray.